G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Martin, and today I've got Charlie Vella on this show. Many would know him as the host of Property Investing and Business and Investing, and he has built a very large, I guess, portfolio very quickly over the last few years, and he's done it as a borderless investor, so buying in different states and and to build a portfolio that quickly with that kind of mindset and takes a lot of pushing through the comfort zones, a lot of challenges to overcome, a lot of uh, skill with financing and using and leveraging a team. So today we're going to go into his journey and all that he's learned, some of what he's learned, and I'm really excited to have him on the show. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for joining us today. Really excited to be taking a deep dive into your story. Welcome to My the show. My absolute pleasure. My absolute pleasure, Jared. Thank you for having me on. No, well, it's pretty awesome because we've known each other for quite a while and, you know, I know your investing journey quite well and your strategy and I guess overall approach is pretty different to mine, but I like to think we've got a meeting of the minds in the middle and so I wanted to get you on to share that alternative perspective and almost show our listeners that there's no one way to investing in property and it's very investor specific if you will so looking forward to yeah, it let, let's start there should we just dig straight in yeah why not <laughs> i think one of the hardest things about property when you're first getting into it and this was me is you get in there and you'll find there's a ton of different like camps and uh-huh. i actually think of them like diets right there's like the carnivores there's the vegans right there's the uh, there's the herbivores there's keto people just like in property, there's people that do blue chip or they do development or they do rural or they do capital cities or they do a whole variety of things. Let's not forget. And cash flow, the hit. cash flow camp. Cash flow <laughs> camp. Uh, right. But the reality is, is that you can be successful in all of them. And I think a lot of people really struggle with like, there must be one right answer. And you, in general, and I, this is what I would encourage for many is like, you've got to kind of get past that and work out what's right for you. Because in, even in our cases here, like I got a lot of respect for your strategy and I look at it and go, do you know what? It works, but it's just not right for me in my <laughs> circumstance. So I, you know, take a very different view on things where, because of what I do for business and just things that have happened where I'm more biased towards is I've always been that, you know, that type of investing or doing more growth investing or having a negative flow on my portfolio is just not going to work for me. So cash flow has always been very important. Now, full disclosure, I actually do have some growth in my portfolio yeah. as well. It's and not just cash flow. Well, that's the mistake in- of people from the outside assume that you've been all cash flow too, because I know you've got some pretty decent real growth plays in there as well. So Completely. So before we go too in the defense, <laughs> let's back the, uh, back the truck up and find out. What do you actually do? What's your background and what do you do for a living? And how has that, I guess, then gone into shaping this investment philosophy? Yeah, let's, let's do it. So I'm um, coming out of high school. I dropped out of school at 16 and I actually did a plumbing apprenticeship. So I've been into 
property and building and houses for such a very long time now. Like it was wired in me. My dad was actually a builder and had his own uh, company, which he was doing like speckies and renovations and things like yeah. that as well along the way. So it's it's in the blood, right? It's in the blood. Now, uh, to that point though, I actually finished my plumbing apprenticeship and decided it wasn't for me. I was a very, very full on lifestyle. And I just remember like in the depths of winter in Melbourne, of course, I should reference this. I'm not in sunny Perth where <laughs> I imagine being a tradie is much nicer in winter. Yeah. But just being in the drains and just like hating things. So I actually made a transition into the online world. So today I have a media company. We actually produce this podcast that we're on right now. And I Thank actually produce some other way. podcasts. My absolute pleasure. I hope people are enjoying the show as much as I am is also <laughs> on that front. But I own and run a media company. That's what I do um, as a business owner today. And that's been a whole heap of fun. And then one of the things, just again, tweaking in a little bit of property is like property is one of the main niches we work with. I get a lot of really good exposure to other investors, other builders, people getting up to some really cool stuff. Nice. And um, you also run a couple of podcasts. Tell us about those. Get, get your plug in because uh, I enjoy listening to to both of them as well. Oh, How did they come get- about? Well, after being in business to a while for a while, I kind of hit this point where you know you go through the early grind of like, all right, we're trying to work out how to make a dollar, and that is in itself a real big challenge. And I'm sure you're no stranger to that either, right? Business is a difficult sport; it's a full contact sport. Eventually, after a number of years, though, we I broke through, started making some money in business, and the question came up of, well, now I'm making money, what do I actually do with it? So. I started investing in property because, again, coming back to my roots, I was like, well, I'm finally at this place where I can get into this stuff. And then over a number of years, started accumulating uh, a portfolio in property, as well as talking about property a lot with a good friend of mine, Grant. Now, me and Grant started having all these conversations about the synchronicities of business and property and how we were doing certain things in our businesses to then take it and buy assets in the real world. Then. So this is some clarification on that. Grant and I like make invisible things on the internet. Right? We make podcasts and YouTube That's channels. And we often felt that there was an intangibility to that. And we wanted to make sure we took some of the profits from what we were doing in that world and put it into things we could go and touch if we wanted to. Yeah. That was part of the thesis. So we decided to launch a podcast called Business and Investing, where we actually talk about a lot of the methodologies and things we did to do that which has been a whole heap of fun. And I'll be real, when we first put it out there, we're like, we completely accept if no one ever listens to this, it's okay. Like, we'll be cool. But but it managed to strike a bit of a chord with the Australian audience, and we've gone on and enjoying. We're about a year and a bit deep into that show right now, and um, it's gone on to kind of form a really nice group of people around. It's a strong community. Yeah, well, I would certainly love your content, and it's often hard as a business owner when you're weighing up the different uses for your profits when you do start making them you know do you reinvest in the business because it's what you know and you know you can get a really good return on that marketing spend hopefully or you know do you start putting that money into assets outside the business and i like how you guys are covering i think your opening tagline from grant that he throws around is you know both inside and outside your business (laughs) (laughs) i love that they've got a plug here that's amazing (laughs) I'd I'd really so, love, if it's okay though I'd love to share a quick story on how that yeah, came to be. Yeah, Yeah, so one of the things that um, is quite unique in just the way I've gone about 
what I do in business and then bringing it into buying assets outside of business. Well, I think this also can apply for anyone that is in a job too. In, in, it's not exactly the same, but you may love your job. You may think you've got your job forever, but a big part of, I think, the reason you've done this is a de-risking play. And I think people should think about it the same way with the same hat on. Do take us into your story and I just want to plant that seed for people to have the parallels. 100% and completely accurate in that way. My, my journey is business, clearly. But um, for many of people that, let's say, are employed, it's like this applies wholeheartedly. It's just a different lens to view it in. Yeah. I, uh, and to go back into that story here is that when I was about 10 is my father actually had a workplace accident. So um, he was very unfortunately, he was on a uh, a frame. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the company that had prefabbed some of the walls on that frame, something went wrong in their manufacturing process and the house actually collapsed. Jeez. So my father was in that and he broke his back and had a whole bunch of uh, elbow and arm injuries. But because of that incident, he actually never got to go back to being a builder. Right. So yeah. went to work that morning, builder, came home that night, never build her again and everything we had was in that company it was my dad's own own business yeah, at this well. point so when that occurred and he you know he'd done actually quite well for himself like very well for himself but everything he had was in the business just like to your point you know someone might be doing quite well for themselves they're in a great position or career or maybe they've got a great business today but through circumstances like things evaporate things change then now after that experience, my family went through some very challenging times, um, things I wouldn't necessarily wish upon anyone. Well, and uh, eventually my parents' relationship did break down because of that, and eventually my father bankrupted. Yeah, well. Like it didn't leave to a very good financial position. Now, I'm at a very formative age at this point, you know, the, the whole right. being 10 and in that thing and seeing this, I start to connect the dots that it's like, well, it is really risky to have everything in one thing. So growing up, after that experience, I felt the same. I was like, it is super risky having everything in a business. I'm seeing the returns just like any other business owner. And I, I've often heard the idea of, you know, reinvesting in your own business is some of the best returns you can get. Uh, for, you know, people who are in a career here, it's like, you know, reinvesting in skills to progress your career might be a fantastic return for you also. But if something was to change, it's like, well, what else have you really got? to lean into here so as a key part mm -hmm. of my own experience that diversification and de-risking became really important it also became part of my core thesis on the way i invest where strategies like negative gearing i'm not doing because in my circumstance if the business environment changes yeah i don't want to have a portfolio or anything that requires cash to keep going because that may not necessarily be serviceable um, so you can pretty much turn around tomorrow if shit hits the fan and, you know, you've got your portfolio there to give you cash flow and cover your overheads and at least that gives you a whole different outlook on life probably. How, how, how did things change for you when you got to that position? Yeah, so to paint the story forward from yeah. here, what started out as, you know, I bought one investment property and then I bought yep. two investment properties and then I bought three investment properties. <laughs> I started to really stack these things to the point where I'm at now, where I'm actually financially independent. So if I was to, you know, decide business isn't for me or something happened and it stopped now, 
my property portfolio would actually look after me for the rest of my life. And I think that is uh, what often many people set out to achieve when they get into property itself. Now, to ask you a question of like, how does it actually feel? You have this day when you realize that, hang on, I don't have to do business or have to go to work or have to do any of this stuff for money anymore. I get to, I choose to. And the day that actually happens, everything becomes a lot more fun. Like everything shifts from this, like, oh, I got to go to work or got to do something because, you know, I need this or I have to work for this person or do this type of thing because I need that to suddenly everything's a whole bunch more exciting and enjoyable. So I, I love what I do. Like I realized very quickly at that point that it's like, all right, cool. I'm financially independent. I'm going to go sit on a beach for a bit. And then what? It's like, probably start another business. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's, let's work through that and create a business I actually want and like live a life I actually want to enjoy. And like my kind of thesis is in here now is like when you get to a point where you do start accumulating a bit of wealth, the idea is to build a life you don't want to retire from. It's not to go That's hang it. out and hide from the world. Well, you can only bury your head in the sand of um, Hawaii for so long and then you're going to want a lot more, I think. And um, the interesting thing about having the choice is I find that I'm almost doing the same activities prior to having my wealth, but now that I've got it and I just know that I have choice of doing it, I approach all those activities in a really different way. It's completely... It's like, well, I don't have to do it if I didn't want to. I can choose not to do it, but I'm actually then making the choice to keep doing it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It's like one of these weird things. I understand what you're saying because I've experienced it also. Yeah. But trying to explain it to other people that haven't necessarily hit that point yet, they might not necessarily conceptualize it in the same way. So I always like to say to people, what I'm trying to relate here is that the journey we go on on property investing is really to get us to a point where we get to experience a freedom in our life, right? We build up enough wealth so we have more choices, more freedom, and we can work through the world. Once you get to there, the question becomes, well, was it worth it? And I say to people, absolutely. (laughs) So if anything, I just want to be encouraging that this is a journey worth going on and the rewards of getting to that point are immensely awesome. Like, I'll bet you enjoy life on a different level associated with these choices. Definitely, and it really uh, makes you think it, it's definitely worth it. There's no doubt, you know, it's worth all Good. those hard yards. Exactly, because yeah. it's not easy getting to this point. Like, there's many times in the journey where it's like, I saw my friends take on extravagant holidays yeah. or buy extravagant cars, and do you know what I was doing? Not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was weekends when I'm going around. A house we were renovating, you know, every uh, weekend, every night after work, sometimes sleeping on the floor. <laughs> Completely. Grind. And, and how many times instead of like, I could look to the weekends where instead of going out and hanging out with my friends, I went to property seminars. Yep. Or I was learning from other investors or I was listening um. to podcasts like this instead of uh, doing other things. And it's like the reward of doing those things and putting in the delayed gratification. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. Well, take us through a bit more of your journey so far from that. How did the first property come about? It's always good to talk about your first one. It's the funniest <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, so Jared, I, I don't, we're going to call the first one luck. 
Okay. okay. I'm going to put that right up front. Lucky, not smart. All right, well, so the first property I bought was uh, a property that I bought because I actually liked the garage. Really big garage. And I had a huge bias towards a good garage because I was a plumber once upon a time. Yeah. So I would, was looking at this house going, do you know how great this would be for a tradie? I'm like, looking at this setup. I'm going, this is fantastic. Good, good house. So it was a, a three bedroom, two bathroom with a good garage, standalone house. Um, and I'm looking at it and I'm going, this is great. I like it. We should buy this. The property had come up for listing on December 20th and someone was desperate to close on it because they needed- Christmas purchases are great. So we got our last one across Christmas too. It's like the owner was thinking, oh, I'll have to wait to auction it in February when the market comes back. They've given up on selling it for the year virtually. Along comes Charlie. <laughs> Along comes Jared. <laughs> the best. Again, I didn't know how lucky I was Sorry. at this point. So that this is blind, a, a blind luck. Yeah, I'd um, but to the point, I looked at that now and going, they needed to settle on this because they needed to settle another finance that they were no longer eligible for. So the settling on this property was conditional on them actually complete completing their dream home. Okay. So they had a, a huge pain, and no one's coming around on the twentieth of December apart okay. from me. So um, we bought this place, and um, this is a house we actually ended up living in for a while. This was a PTR. But by chance, Jared, it ended up being in a part of Melbourne with a very good school zone. It nice. was like really hard to get into that. Again, I'm oblivious to, yep. I didn't know. And then ended up being in uh, a location where it just boomed. So not pure from intent. That property worked out very well for us and a great footing in the door, but that was property number one. Oh, and how have things sort of progressed and changed from there? We probably don't have, you know, five hours to run through <laughs> every one of your purchases, but uh, give us some of the keynotes. Uh, well, the, the first one, just to be clear, I always like to give people, they're always going to be like, well, where was it, right? They want to yeah, know the location. So that was in the morning to Peninsula in Victoria. Oh, yeah. So that was our first one there. Nice uh, we lived in that property uh, for a while, and then we actually turned it into an investment we rented out today. Uh, but I just, you know, personally believe there's some really good, strong, gri- st- strong growth drivers around there. And I'm going to hold on to that one as a backbone in the portfolio. It's also heavily cash flow positive now based on how long we've held it. Damn. Um, actually, since then, as like I spent a number of years, I went back and focused on business and growing income at that point. Because I'd worked out that, hey, you know, this property investing thing is a lot easier if you have a higher income. Damn. Turns out, if you can get more borrowing power, then that makes the game a lot more enjoyable as well than trying to, you know, I suppose, max leverage. So from that one there, uh, second one I bought was actually a development. So we bought a splitter and um, this was in Wollongong area. So we bought a splitter. Someone had started the project, but not gotten through it. We decided to come in and then finish that one off. So we were actually a little bit opportunistic on this one. Now we used a buyer's agent on this one here. They were the one that actually found that opportunity for us. I didn't find it. It was in another state and I had my apprehensions about, you know, not being able to go and drive to this one, maybe a bit <laughs> nervous. But um, bought a splitter, completed the development. It was way harder, more painful, and more time-consuming than I realized. Yes. <laughs> I naively thought with my plumbing skills that it would be, a, you know, easy, yeah. easy. I can read a set of plans. It'll be fine. <laughs> so Damn would you, uh, having been through that experience with development, is that something that you continue to do, or have you sort of parked that again to... 
potentially come back to one day or have you ruled it out for forever? Oh, Jim, that is a great question. Um, and even something we've had a little bit of a chat off, off air as well. So we did very well on that development, but it was very time consuming. I think if I was going to do future developments, one of the things is just being eyes wide open to the time consuming nature. So building wise, I was actually fine. Like I understood how trades worked. I'd worked with many of the trades. I felt comfortable there. What I underestimated though was council and DA and the things that go on in that world. Um, so the bureaucracy slower is ultimately what created a lot of challenges on that. Um, and it was uh, rather frustrating to say the least. Now, and then we outcome guess these days with interest rates as well, it's another factor that I don't know what they were back then. Do you super recall? low. Yeah. Uh, that's good. We had, uh, it was in the threes. We the had uh, the finance on there. So, but yeah. Su- yeah, really, really nice environment for developing. I won't lie. Perfect. Uh, so did the development, got it. We had a huge amount of uplift in the property itself, which I don't know how detailed you want me to go. The first property I bought was about 400 grand, which was the one on the Morning Peninsula. This one here we bought was about 850. Yeah. And then we put quite a bit into it, got it revalued, ended up with a very sizable uplift, but then held on to both of them. We still hold them today as well. Okay. I haven't actually sold any properties. So when I say every pro- everyone we do from here, let's just assume I haven't sold anything. So <laughs> that's not in my strategy. I'm an accumulator. Got the good uplift though. Uh, got tenants in, got a nice rental increase, and then that allowed us to keep going. Uh, property number three was in, I'd, I'd say like Newcastle area and was, I bought a family home with a granny flat out the back. That one didn't need as much work. That one was more like a set and forget. Wow. Was that way easier. It's <laughs> so much easier and faster. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, so that was uh, number three. Then I went on a bit of a tear. So we definitely got our footing in like, I grew my confidence as an investor. We went after that and I will kind of uh, jump through them. Otherwise, we will be here for an hour just talking about my properties alone. Is I went on a tear and we did three in Queensland. We okay. did three purchases. Uh, one of the purchases, though, we actually bought four of them. So we did like quite a big run where over a period of about 12 months, 15 months, we managed to acquire like eight properties in total yeah, well. across that tear from there. So we had a very strong year in business and income had worked out. Plus, can't even the imagine the finance like challenges on that. Like, I find it challenging just to. This is why I've been when I message you. I'm like, I find it challenging to get my ducks in a row for two purchases in a year. <laughs> well, you are noticing a difference in our hairline, are you not, Jared? Oh uh, well, you know. <laughs> so you still got some, and I, mine's like well on the way out, and that year did not help. <laughs> that honestly, that was the hardest part. Though. So, it's. Hats off, but if you really put your mind to growing the portfolio fast, you know, with the help of others and the right team around you, obviously, you know, you made it happen. So couldn't have done it without them. Like in all honesty, and you really had to do something like that. Like we had our accountant, our buyer's agent, our bookkeeper, my wife, who is also an accountant and just having everyone ingrained to this is what we're trying to pull off. You're going to be working on this right now, but you need to be doing it through the lens of this is what's coming up for the whole year and just executing on executing, arguing with banks <laughs> about settlements, Finance, trying to work this out. The con- the, uh, oh God. was chaos, but we really felt like I looked at it and said, and I'm a really big uh, fan of like Warren Buffett and stuff is like, you know, when there's blood on the streets or you see a significant opportunity, it's like, there's got to be a moment where you actually strike. Mm. 
So what um, year was this and when? Because I think so it's the pretty big, contextual. Yeah, so the year we did this was like 2020. It was just before the pandemic yeah. started into that type of uh, timing. Uh-huh. So they were like just becoming more strict where we did the bigger run of things. Okay. That was our big horizon there and um, had its own challenges in it being a pandemic itself. Yeah, the background noise was pretty loud and a lot of people wouldn't have acted in that time, especially not buying eight properties. So how, what gave you the confidence to pull the trigger, not once, but eight times when other people have run for cover and uh, their bears in their cave, hibernating? But to be clear, the confidence, I'm not sure you'd describe me as confident. I actually felt it was dirty. I, I, I don't want anyone to listen to this and go, oh, I was or cool, just, calm, and collected, know. and just like, oh, yeah, let's just get another one. We were stressing, really uh, had our moments of doubt and uncertainty like everyone else, but I just kept really trying to attain this longer-term view. Uh, and i I got to be careful how I say this, but I will. I'm like, cool, if the pandemic uh, takes over the world and this is it, I'm going down with 10 properties. I'm not going down <laughs> with three. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, if it's not the end of the world and we get through this, this might be the best thing we've ever done for our finances. Boom. And it turned out that way. It was a really strong power play. And, you know, Warren Buffett's famous, famous quotes is, you know, you've got to be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And Jarrett, man, we were going into some of these deals with like really low offers and they were getting accepted really quick. We were like, yeah. oh, we should have gone lower. <laughs> Where... It's like you try and do that in like today's environment or the years after it. It's like a, it's a fight to get into some of these things. And mm-hmm. I just think through very fortunate timing and then having great people around me to support me, we were able to pull off something that was a, a whole heap of fun. Yeah. It really was. And when you bought them, what was your shorter term expectations or did you need it to do anything or were you really just buying for that longer term? Yeah, so the provision I had with everyone is like the ca- the portfolio can't run cash flow negative. Yep. Right, that was the big provision I had with everyone. So it's like, I'm happy to keep accumulating provided we don't get to, because we've got to be able to ride this out on yep. the thesis of whatever happens. So that was the game we essentially played. It was like, we don't need anything short term, but to maintain cash flow. Makes sense. And I must say, we were acting on the thesis that rates w- wouldn't go up till 2024. Uh, <laughs> at a point in this, thank you, Mr. Loge. Yeah. But uh, very fortunately, rents have risen substantially as well in our case here. So we haven't actually gone cash flow negative even to this day uh, at all. But um, that was kind of what we were running on from there. And then my bigger term vision was this, was like, well, I just mapped out that property on average, if you look at the historical returns, had been like, on average, about 5 to 6% growth, depending on where you buy. And then you've got your rental yield to go with that. With that. Yeah. I was like how many property do I actually need or what volume of portfolio would actually support becoming financially independent? Excellent. And I'd worked out that if we got to that type of portfolio through this, well, that would actually give us our freedom. So that was like the bigger view of what we were working yeah, towards. Yeah, that's what I was really digging we... for. To... It's yeah. great that you had a plan and you worked backwards and that, I guess, gave you the confidence and clarity to just push through all this like tenuous noise about you know COVID tanking the market and you know doom and gloom and you know execute on what you'd set out to so completely and I think it's one of the biggest reasons that a lot of investors get stuck at that one or two because they haven't got the clarity to push through and at that point 
you do have to deal with finance. You do have to deal with extra hassles. You, you've, it's all uphill after the first one to two. So, and it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> I, I will say that every, so even from then, it's like buying today, which I'm still active in what I do for property and, and all the rest of it. The financing particularly becomes yeah. more challenging. And um, you have to start utilizing things like different states to, you know, work with certain cash flows in different land tax obligations. Or you have to think about deposits and finance strategy because on a portfolio of my size, even the difference between being on like interest only loans or P&I loans can make a massive difference if the bank will lend me more money from there or a massive difference to the cash flow we have at hand. Mm. You go and make it. I've found um, the banks a lot more negotiable on my interest rates, the more that I owe them as well. So, and the more that your equity increases and your LVRs decrease. So as rates have been rising, it's definitely worth continuing to try to decrease your interest rates and a 1% saving on your sort of size portfolio, you know, that's sizable um, every time if you can keep decreasing interest at the same time as the banks are increasing interest. So Completely. And how did you, just diving a little deeper into the finance layer, how can you actually finance and settle so many concurrently? Did you do it all with the one bank? Did you spread the banks? Like, did how do you show the banks on your application each time? Okay, well, we've now got this. This has happened since. Like, just that juggling act would have been a real head spin for me. Yeah, it, it is. So, uh, number one is like, if you are going to attempt something like that, I think it's really important to have a good bookkeeper and an accountant who can quickly update things. So we needed to get a lot of like interim, interim finance done. We also needed to be able to show records of things that made a really big difference. Um, on the other side of things is that you need to be able to fund deposits. So when you're, if you are heavily reliant on just using equity, for example, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. Yeah, But because we had gotten ourselves to a position and set up finance where we were able to inject cash into the portfolio from business or income in general, that really enabled us to move much quicker. So that's a really key point, number one. The second side of that, and this is something that I haven't seen discussed uh, a lot, is a lot of people don't realize that every month banks change their policy on what lending looks like in their bank. So I kid you not, I've had this experience. I once and got once went and got my borrowing power done by, and I won't name the bank just because I don't think that's necessarily fair, but I went, this is a big fall, so you know it's one of them. I went and had my borrowing power done by them and literally willing to give me, it was like a million and a half. And then only a couple of months later, they wouldn't touch me. Right? Because Outside the way the they, yeah, I don't fit in the box they want to lend to anymore. I've got too much risk apparently. So when you start to think about that, the role of what your broker's doing every month is just awareness of the rules in each bank and how those policies are changing. And then when you want to pull the trigger is they've got to know your certain circumstance and be updated and match that to whatever is best available to set up. Mm. So what we did is that essentially you're taking whatever finance you can get to get the acquisition done, yep. knowing full well that after you've done your round of accumulation, you're going to have to refinance things yeah. into more favorable loans. Like we took on some loans that were just like higher interest rate, didn't have offset accounts, that, uh, a whole variety of yeah. things that just didn't fit what we wanted later on. 
Did you ever purchase at a lower LVR because that was all that was available as well? Did. Absolutely. Um, One of the things, we bought a triplex as one of our properties in Queensland and we didn't necessarily realise that some banks wouldn't like 80% on that. Like that is a 70% purchase for them because they see it as riskier. Um, Or they did. I don't know if they've changed it since. But that one did need 30%. But then we refinanced that to 20% later on and then we're able to use that cash to then be a deposit on something else. So you play those games a lot. Lots of levers to pull with the finance there and I can see how it would have either halted that um, very quickly or, you know, having the right teams really helped you navigate through and do so much so quickly. So Massively. Mm. Thanks so much for joining us today, Charlie. We've got so much to unpack. I'm going to have to get you back for a part two next time where we're going to dive really deep into some of your other key learnings and takeaways, how you've actually uh, come to want to invest in Perth and all your thinking around that as an outside investor. We'd love to get your thoughts. There's a lot of different comfort zones you've pushed through that we're going to go deeper into and how you've built your team of your buyer's agents and your property managers and how important that's all been to managing this number of properties and both the buying stage and now the more consolidation stage that you're going through. And I'd love to get your perspective on how Perth sits compared to the other capital city markets because you've got a, a pony in each race. It'd be great to get your take on those things. So looking forward to next part two. See you next episode. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.